Welcome or welcome back to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast where I go in deep with inspiring minds talking about mindset, plant-based nutrition, and really cool adventure stories from around the world. This episode is no exception. I spoke with Gordon Wadsworth, Emmy Harefield, my husband, Matt Iwanis, and we talked about a number of different things. So first of all, Gordon Wadsworth is the single speed NUE champion. He's won the NUE series, which is a hundred mile mountain bike race series across the United States. And he's won it on a single speed, one gear, one. And he usually beats almost everybody, including people with gears on the single speed. And his wife, Emmy, is also an awesome character and has been a big part of our adventures. And we are in Brazil and we are taking on the Brazil Ride Stage Race. And Gordon and I have raced together before. We raced the seven-day Pioneer Stage Race in New Zealand in February. And Emmy was there as our supportive crew and she was driving the RV. And there's lots of crazy stories about the RV breaking down and Emmy is also going to be racing here at Brazil Ride, and it is her very first stage race. She's racing with Jordan Salmon, so make sure that you guys cheer them on as well. The Brazil Ride is one of my favorite races. It's at a new place this year, so I haven't actually ridden this course, but Brazilians are very spirited and really fun people, and this is definitely one of the hardest mountain bike stage races that I have ever done. This show is pretty fun because Matt and I are co-hosting it, and first we chat with Gordon and Emmy just kind of about their story. And the most interesting thing is the tandem and what they've learned from riding a tandem. I personally have not ridden one because it takes a lot of flexibility to not ride in front and be in control. But I think that I need to try that. They talk about that. They talk about traveling and being a, a bike couple and the secret to having a really good relationship. And Matt and I also chime in on that. We talk about our adventure stories from going across the South Island of New Zealand in the Pioneer and all the crazy things that happened along the way. And then we talk a little bit about Brazil rides. So tune in in this episode. You don't want to miss out. It's pretty fun. It's pretty rad. Here it is. All right. What's up, guys? Hey, y'all. How are you guys? Yeah, good. It's good. Friday night. We're hanging out on Friday night. Friday. <laughs> Hashtag Friday. So I'm stoked to finally get you guys on the show. So for those of you listening, we have four people on the podcast today. This is a new record. So we have myself, obviously, my husband, Matt. Hello, everybody. Gordon Wadsworth, the Quadsworth. Hey, crew. And Emmy, Emmy Shred. Hashtag Emmy Shred. Hi. Sweet. So Gordon and I are racing Brazil Ride together next week, and Emmy is also racing with Jordan Salomon in the women's category, but we wanted to come on the show and have all of us here and just kind of chat about team dynamics and some of our travel adventures that we've had this year. But first, you guys might not be familiar with the power couple, Gordon and Emmy, so we're going to start by chatting with you guys a little bit about who you are and what's your deal. So guys, how did you meet? We met at a local bike race um, one weekday afternoon. I was a little local cross race that some organizers put on, and I had just done Shenandoah Mountain 100 and was really stoked about riding bicycles, and somebody invited me down to a cross race, and I'd never done one before, and I showed up, and Gordon was there. 
That's, you know, <laughs> just as general dating advice, I think all you single people out there, go find a bike race to sign up for. Apparently, yeah. it's a great place to meet people. <laughs> yeah, that's how Matt and I met too at a bike race. And But, you know, it's kind of like hard advice for – it's hard for the women because there aren't as many women. So don't overwhelm the women at the bike race, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, you know, I think a cross race is a really good place to go. Even though I, we don't really race cross at all, it's a great place to meet because – you can just, in our case, Gordon just kept lapping me over and over and over. And so every time he lapped me, it was an opportunity for him to have a conversation and, and talk. And I had immediate incentive to make as many passes. Is that the right word? <laughs> as possible. Yeah, but we did. We were both kind of at different times in our lives and, and sort of seeking, you know, sort of different things. And we just kind of happened to be in the same place at the same time in that, that, you know, cycling introduced us and we were able to sort of start a relationship from there. It was at a time when I was really pursuing a pro mountain bike career pretty aggressively. And, and, you know, I think I raced like 40 something weekends of the year that year or traveled rather 40 something weekends of the year that year. So it was just a ton of kind of single dude style, you know, super low budget racing with as much support as I could get from folks. And, and Emmy was finishing up a master's degree and preparing for PA school, physician assistant school. And so we were kind of in that capacity, like our, our lives were not, were not drawing together, right? I was kind of doing this thing and she was going to be leaving our area for school. And we'd actually lived less than an hour apart um, for our whole lives. You know, I'm in Roanoke, Virginia, and she's up in Floyd or was up in Floyd County, Virginia, and then Blacksburg, Virginia um, at Virginia Tech. And so, you know, it was just a happenstance. They both happened to be in that place at the same time. And it began a relationship from there. And immediately, I think we clicked in, in a lot of really unique ways and exciting ways. And it was just from there, we, we dated for a little over a year um, and then got engaged and wedded bliss ever since. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because you kind of glazed over. Well, it wasn't really, it wasn't really meant like, it didn't seem like it was meant to be at the time because you're in different places in your life. But how did you guys sort of overcome that? Because a lot of times people meet somebody and they'll just give up because it's one person's moving or one person is doing something else. So what made you guys decide, well, we don't care. Let's just keep going and, and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think both of us have the, have a character trait that we really trust, you know, trust our faith. And we trust also kind of that things happen for reasons. And when we're, you know, when we, when we met and we started talking and, and, and really started dating, I think both of us acknowledged very quickly that there was a real connection there. And no matter where sort of we thought our lives were moving, um, we had to acknowledge that connection. Um, well, and that we had common interests and common ground. So even if we did move apart, it wasn't like we were going to drift apart in our interests and the things that we wanted to do with our life. And, and so having cycling was really important for us initially because it started out as a friendship and didn't initially start as a dating relationship. Right. It was something that we both, you know, individually enjoyed and pursued and wanted to do and something that we enjoyed together. And so I think it was really important for us to have that mutual interest and that independence before we became a couple. Yeah. And then we're able to kind of merge it into a couple's activity as well. And it was really easy because in my off time from school, that's what I wanted to do. And in his off time from racing, that's what he wanted to do. And so it, it made it easy. It wasn't like, well, I want to go do this and you're not interested in that. So it was, you know, it was easy to do the same things because we had the same interests and it, it wasn't, you know, while the traveling was a, 
was an issue. It wasn't an issue for us to actually spend time together because it was the same thing that we wanted to do. Yeah. I find it like the nice thing about cycling is it is a sport that you get to do and you get to play, but it also has a broader lifestyle around it, which includes the, you know, the health part of it, but travel and, and vacation and all those kinds of things. So it's pretty cool that, that you, you guys found each other and you could share that together because a lot of times in relationships is one person's engaged and one person's not. And then invariably one person just stops and it ends up being this totally separate world this person's living. So it's cool you didn't have to go down that path. Yeah. And even while I was in PA school, if I couldn't myself go ride with him, it was you know, cycling something that you do just bring your bike. You know, and Gordon could bring his bike to Kentucky and go for a ride while I was studying. And I wasn't distracting him or keeping him from what he needed to do. And he wasn't keeping me from what I needed to do. But, you know, so we, it, it was hard to balance that in you know, dating and um, eventually marriage. But, you know, I think we figured out how to do that and just had to both acknowledge that we needed to be independent for certain things. And for other things, we tried to do it together as much as we could. But it acknowledging also that it wasn't always going to work out. <laughs> yeah, I think that the important thing that you said was that you guys were both independent and it happens all the time, but it would be harder, I think, if you started a relationship and one person rode and the other person didn't ride and then now one person wants to start riding and then there's the balance of the significant other teaching the other person about biking and you always hear all these funny stories of, one person, you know, riding with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and then someone trying to give somebody advice and then people get all like TO'd about that. So, um, yeah. How often do you guys ride together? I mean, as often as possible, my training schedule has some must haves in it. You know, there's some things that I need to accomplish on a weekly and monthly basis, but you know, I can, I can usually get those done and then, and then meet Emmy for a ride, or we can take our tandem out, which we do pretty regularly. Um, <laughs> because we can just like both of us finish a ride on the tandem and we're just thrashed. Like it's, it's such a good effort for both of us can you just and it's a really fun way to be together. And for two pretty independent people, <laughs> we actually, I think we're better as partners when we get off the tandem because it, it, <laughs> it really forces you to communicate and it forces you to, you know, trust the other person intimately. And, and that, that is, I think that's a lesson that all of us need reminding of sometimes. And the tandem is fun because if you don't, if you don't, you know, heed that lesson, you end up on the ground, you know? So it's. We're really mad at each other. (laughs) Has that happened? No, 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 we haven't. I don't think so. No, we've never gotten really mad at each other on a tandem. There's definitely (laughs) times. There's definitely been times when I've gotten really mad at him riding individually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so very early on in our relationship, we established that while riding together, there were certain lines that needed to be drawn. So Gordon's a big talker when he rides. I'm not a talker when I ride. (laughs) You know, obviously, I'm slower than he is. I'm not as fast as he is. And so... When we were riding together initially, he wanted to be all chatty and it was the initial part of our relationship and he wanted to talk and sing and hum and whistle. And so we established very early on that there were there would be no questions asked that were not yes or no or grunt responses on my part. <laughs> and we've kind of maintained that some like, you know, throughout our throughout our riding, we'll still go out and we ride together a couple times a week, typically. 
but it's still under the knowledge that we're not going to have full relationship conversations. It's not going to be real chatty. He can talk as much as he wants, but there's not going to be a whole lot of response from me. <laughs> I can either keep up or I can talk. I can't do both. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and you know, I think a big part of that too is is just like, you know, just like the tandem too, you you, you have to communicate about what your goals and your expectations yeah. are. I mean, I, I can't go out and expect to do a bunch of intervals, you know, or any any sort of focused workout when I'm with Emmy. Um, if I'm if I need to do because I'll be frustrated, you know, and it's not gonna and go so well. Will she. Yeah, and oh, so will totally. she, right. And it's gonna carry into that relationship. And and so I have to get that stuff done, you know, prior to us us riding or not ride, you know, with her and and, and make sure that that I'm getting those things done and, or, and, and we do that a lot too. You know, we yeah. either will ride separately. He'll ride in the morning. And then when I get home from work, he'll, we'll ride together or we just ride separately and do our own thing because we have our own expectations and what we need to accomplish. So I think that's been really valuable too, is that we've never needed to go out with the other person. It's not something that we have to do together, but it's something that we can do together and we enjoy, but setting that expectation before we get started is really important because not having that, you know, communicate it can be hard on a relationship, I think. So I want to ask another question about the tandem because I've never ridden the tandem. <laughs> I just like, I'm visualizing you guys like raging down the road on this tandem. But first of all, where does it fit in? Like, and how did you decide to say, you know what? We need to get a tandem because maybe this is magic couples thing that Sonia and I are missing out on. <laughs> so like most good things, it started out with a bet. <clears throat> um, <laughs> My my family has a place on the coast of North Carolina, and it's it's very flat there, and it it can make for we're from the mountains, and it can make for frankly kind of boring riding, but it's not very intimidating riding. And so my parents uh, had had gotten a couple of road bikes, and they were they invited us to come down and do uh, a charity, you know, like MS one fifty style like charity bike event down there, and they were going to do the 50 miler, which is a big chunk of mileage for somebody that doesn't ride all the time. And, and so we kind of jokingly said, you know, it's so fast down there and it's so flat. We kind of jokingly said, well, you know, elbow to the side, I bet we can finish the hundred before you guys finish the 50. Right. Which is kind of <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you know, snowball's chance on that one. Like, it's just not going to be likely, but we bet him a pint of Ben and Jerry's that, that we would finish the hundred before they finish the 50. Right. And so we, kind of like carried that spirit into it and we're like well you know what let's just do it on tandem like that's going to be the fastest <laughs> way like you know and so we found a, a friend here in Roanoke who's a blind athlete and so he would ride stoker on on a tandem uh with i mean olympians like this guy's won uh tandem national championships in non-impaired categories like just straight up tandem oh. national championships and so we borrowed one of his tandems and we went down there and we just had, I mean, had a ball, like finished. First time I've ever ridden one. Oh yeah. We get to the start line and people are like, wow, you guys really know what you're doing. What's, you know, what's the longest ride? And it was like, I don't know, the 700 feet here (laughs) from the driveway, (laughs) you know, like, so we had just an awesome time and they, they did beat us, but by about like five minutes, by minutes. Yeah. So we made good and bought him some Ben and Jerry's. But we, we had a great time and it was so yeah. fun for me to be able to keep up with Gordon the right. whole time and be oh, right, yeah. experience the same things that he was experiencing. And I mean, we were totally hooked from that time on. And, and since then, we now have a we have a road tandem that is kind of on permanent loan. And so anytime we want to go out and stick together, 
you know, and do something that's really cool or something that's scenic, then we always pull out the tandem and probably a couple of times a month we get on it. And we have, I mean, we have a great time. Yeah. Gordon's always the captain and I'm always the stoker. <laughs> Just one time I might have ran us into a tree when I was the captain. But... <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like the communication part of just a biking relationship in general, like because people ask lots of questions about biking relationships. And I've written some articles on how to ride with a, like a rider who's slower than you. And yeah, like you, you mentioned expectations and saying what your expectation is before your rides. And Matt and I like do the same thing. We talk about like, this is what we hope to get out of this ride. Yeah. And um, also like the tandem, I've never ridden one, um, but it would be actually really challenging. I think Matt and I should, because we both want to be in control. We both <laughs> want to be the captain. So that would be really hard for each one of us to not be the captain. So <laughs> I think that, yeah, you guys might have something, a business here on uh, building relationships <laughs> with tandems. You've got a book to write. Canoes and tandems. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it is. And, and I think, you know, that, that, I mean, it's true in life that communicating expectations is so much of a positive interaction, you know, and the tandem is true in, in cycling. It's true in, in, you know, what do you want to do this weekend conversations? It's true, but yeah, I mean that, that I think is, you know, foundationally important to any good relationship, especially when you have in the mix an athletic endeavor, you know, you have somebody like in my position, who's, who's really seeking, you know, top performance and, and trying to ride that wave of fitness for, you know, 10 months of the year is it gets easy to get inside your own head and, and, and build a lot of frustration and, and can't afford to bring, to let, uh, you know, soured expectations from a spousal relationship. You know, you can't, you can't let that in there. Well, and I think the cool thing about the tandem is that it really takes everything back to the fundamental basics of cycling and relationships, things that you take for granted typically yeah. during your ride, like shifting or braking or turning or, you know, it just, it really simplifies everything and it, it takes you from possibly a place of hard communications and complicated communication and difficult, you know, relationship dynamics to a place that's so basic that you know, helps, helps with the communication of, you know, I'm shifting now, I'm breaking now. Okay. There's a bump coming up in the road because as the stoker, you don't feel any of that and you don't see any of that. And so something that may be difficult, you know, say if we were having difficulty communicating with something else, you know, having that basic thought process and that, that basic, you know, I'm shifting up now, or I'm going to break into this corner is, I think is really helpful for us because it, it takes something complicated and simplifies it. Or as I tend to do, not break into the corner at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. There's some pretty rad pictures of Gordon out there cornering on his bike. And every time I corner, I just try and look like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have had some of those. We did borrow a mountain bike tandem for a little while. And I forget, I, I, I kept forgetting that the rear handlebars are wider than the front handlebars because they have <laughs> but. And so I would like drive the nose of this, you know, 10 foot long beast through a corner and would like clip Emmy's handlebar every single time. <laughs> yeah, we definitely, uh, it is. Emmy's right. It helps dial in those fundamentals. If you're going to talk about breaking and shifting and standing and moving and all those things, why would you not talk about, um, you know, some of the bigger things in life? Like it, it just sets that precedence really beautifully. So that's awesome. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about racing a little bit. So you mentioned that you race 10 months a year, and I think you're actually one of the only other people I've ever met that race, because I also race 10 months a year. 
So let, tell everybody what kind of racing that you like to do and why. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's changed over the years. You know, when I started racing probably 15 years ago or more, geez, you know, cross country and Norba uh, were the things that you did, right? If you wanted to kind of go anywhere in cycling and you wanted to kind of build a resume or just, just compete, right? That's what you did. And so I started racing cross country and I did that for several years. I got a pro license about like the year before they made it fairly easy, you know, when, when points stacked and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I got my pro Norba and USAC license and then sort of started uh, somewhere in that path, maybe 2009 or 10, I did uh, the Shenandoah 100, which is a local race to us. Um, we're in Virginia and the bottom end of that Shenandoah Valley is Roanoke, Virginia, our hometown. And so it's kind of like the big thing. Everybody does that, you know, at the end of the year, it's on Labor Day weekend in September. And so everybody kind of, you know, hey, man, you do in Shenandoah this year. Like, yeah, I think I'm gonna do it this year. Like, oh, you know, everybody kind of talks about Shenandoah and that's the big thing. And so if you're in Virginia, you're just, you're going to end up doing it. So I did it one year and I immediately was like, I'll never do that again. Like one and done, <laughs> done with hundreds, check that box. <clears throat> and then about a year, maybe two years uh, later, I was like, you know, like that was, that was pretty cool. Like I, I, you kind of, you kind of Jones after that high, that buzz of, of a long day in the woods with your friends, ride an amazing trail. Um, so I came back to that race and then, and I think was like third in single speed, you know, so an okay result. And then the next year I was like, you know, I'm, I'm okay at these. And so I really focused on, on training for that hundred mile uh, distance. And, and since I've kind of built a resume of those, I've done almost 50 hundred milers. I did 10 in one year, one year, which was way too many. I was a crispy critter after that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that sort of set the stage for like, you know, these hundred milers, these are things that I love. And I, I did them primarily in single speed. I glossed over that. But why? Uh, Cause single speeds are cheap. Originally uh-huh. I was racing, you know, a bunch of cross country and I was just tearing up bikes. And so I was like, I'm going to build a steel single speed and I'm going to ride it all the time and just trash it. And they're so tough that, that I did that. And I kind of never got off of it, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so I think that the, the simplicity and the kind of elegance of the way you have to handle the bike when you race or ride a single speed and you have to preserve momentum, you have to learn to read lines and trail. It really sort of takes all of the ego out of it too. You know, you, you literally, you're either pedaling or you're walking I mean, there's no, there's, there's just no, you know, and if you run a big manly tough guy gear, then you're going to end up walking more. Um, you know, so I think that, I think that all of those things appealed to me about single speed. And so I did the, a lot of those hundreds on single and I, I've won overall, I think two, three, two or three hundred milers, um, overall on single speed. I've gotten a ton of, you know, top threes, top fives overall on that. And it just works. You know, I found that it works really well physiologically for me. I'm a, I'm a, athlete with a higher muscle density, you know, bigger muscle groups. The and so worth, hence the name. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the shorts. Yeah. The name and the shorts. <laughs> and so that definitely, that definitely kind of crafted who I am, but it's, it's ever changing, you know, I've really enjoyed getting into stage racing more and I've done, you know, now, uh, eight, eight stage races, I think. And, and, um, really enjoyed that format. I started to do some longer kind of light bike packing routes, you know, in the two and 300 miles, some 24s are in the, in the book, in the history. So yeah, I guess I, you know, I have, 
cross country national championship, a marathon, two marathon, and now four national ultra endurance, um, all on that single speed. So it, it, it works. It works really well for me. That's not to say that I always ride one. I train a lot on a, on a geared bike because I like to ride to the trail, but man, that bike, that bike's a sweetheart. You know, you get on that thing and, and really get out to shred and it's just a sweetheart. So yeah, that's me. And you can talk about her. <laughs> I can talk about Emmy. <laughs> well, Emmy's doing her first stage race pretty soon. So, yeah, we're all going to Brazil next week. And I can't remember if I'm airing this next week or the week after. But, yeah, so Emmy's first stage race is yeah. Brazil Ride. So how are you feeling about that? I'm excited. You know, definitely nervous. I've never done something like that before. And there's some big days in this stage race. Probably bigger days than I'm ready for. But, you know... Going into it is Jordan, who's done a bunch of stage races, and and I haven't, and so I'm kind of going to rely on her past history and her ability to kind of shepherd me through some of this, <laughs> you know. And we set expectations again. Going back to that, we set expectations very early, and I said, you know, I'm not going to be crazy fast. I'm not going to be probably in it to to really race it. You know, I want the experience, and I want. I want to have fun. I also don't want to dilly dally, but you know, we said that very upfront um, early. And so I think we both have the same goals and to have fun and do the best we can and, and finish. And so I'm excited about hopefully finishing. <laughs> She's going to crush. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I have, I have been riding, so that's good. It's not completely off the couch. <laughs> No, like there's a lot of people who are really interested in stage racing and probably a lot of our listeners have never done a stage race. So I think it's actually really empowering for people to listen that, that yeah, like Brazil ride is no joke and you're going and you like, it's, it's, you have a good headspace about it. You've had good communication with your partner. You've been riding your bike and there's nothing that people can't take on. It's just, it, we hold ourselves back and we say, oh, I can't do that, but you can do that. And there's been so many cool stories at some of these stage races where it's like the yak attack in Nepal. It's like a 10 day race in the Himalaya. There were people at that race. That was their first race ever. Their first mountain bike race ever. And like the Mongolia bike challenge, there was like a girl and her name's Kate and she lives in Spain, but it's like this girl shows up and she's never done a race ever, 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 ever like brand new mountain biker. And she's doing the Mongolia bike challenge. So like, it's really inspiring to me that people take on big challenges because a lot of times, like I said, we just say, think, oh, well, I can't do that. And and you can, like you, you're really surprised. It surprises you what you're capable of. And that's why I love endurance racing, because you always learn something new about yourself and about those limits that you previously placed on yourself. And you realize that, wow, like there is more, there's more in the tank than I ever thought that there was. And there's no way you would have known that unless you tried to push that limit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about it. And I think, you know, having gone with you guys to the Pioneer in New Zealand, I had a great time there and it was super fun. And driving the RV was, you know, I was <laughs> so happy to do that and awesome to experience that. But I definitely feel a little bit of jealousy and, you know, I wanted to be able to experience the same ride that you guys did too. So I'm really pumped to be able to do that in Brazil. Yeah, let's tell everybody about New Zealand because we've been wanting to talk about that on this show for a while. So to give people a little bit of a background, the cool thing is all four of us were there and that was where our, like, when it's two guys, it's a bromance. So what it is it? Is it like a chromance if it's like two couples? <laughs> yeah. is, it, is this getting like creepy? Um, 
But anyway, <laughs> we went to New Zealand and there's a stage race there called the Pioneer, which is a seven, I think it was seven days, uh, mountain bike stage race from Christchurch to Queenstown. It was a second year event this year. And Gordon and I raced as a mixed team, and it was the first time we had raced as a team before. And Matt also raced with his partner, Eric, who is from Calgary, Canada. The backy. The backy, Eric backy. And I think that I give Matt the, the most impressive badge for this race. I'd like to give it to us, but I can't give it to us because Matt basically did do this race. I mean, he had previous experience, but yeah, like you came off the couch, so yeah. Uh, that plain old sucked. <laughs> like I highly <laughs> that not the race part, but the coming yeah. off the couch part. I, I highly recommend riding your bike, but unfortunately, I didn't get a choice. I uh, I got really sick in Jan- right after Christmas, and the race was February, was Fe- early February, first week of February, I think, something like that. And so I spent about six weeks, literally five weeks, on the couch. Like I could I could barely function, couldn't go to work, and so I'd done a decent job getting some riding in beforehand. But I I literally finished my medication the day before the race. Strapped on the old number and then uh, started to suffer my way through New Zealand. So <laughs> that, Boy, that you was big. Yes, and you just got like more chipper and faster and fitter. It was like an anathema. Every day it was like <laughs> Matt looked better and was riding faster. And it was like, this is not, this is not fair. <laughs> this is not normal. <laughs> well, I'll just where you start, you know. If you, if you want the best and the most improved award, just be really crappy to start. So <laughs> <laughs> Set the bar real low. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. Guys, yeah, but no, you guys had some things to overcome. I only had fitness to overcome. That was, that was, that was my only issue. But yeah, why don't you guys talk about maybe your race a little bit? Yeah, we did, man. We, I mean, we, Sonia and I had raced the same events together a couple times and uh, had talked plenty prior to the event. That was our first partnership on the race course. And, and, you know, exactly what Emily's describing with Jordan, like we made sure that our communication was good up front. We talked about, you know, the training that we were doing and the prep, and we shared a lot of the beta that we learned about the course. And so I think we showed up on really good terms in terms of our partnership. You know, the expectations were out front. We're going to go as hard as we could, um, as much as we could and race, race our little hearts out, but that, you know, kind of with the attitude that winning isn't everything and nobody was going to be in tears if, if we didn't win as long as we tried our hardest, you know, which is, I mean, truly what all, you know, all you get. And so we did a great job communicating about that. And, and we did, I mean, our, our, our day one, you know, which was kind of an XC format day, which is neither of our bag really. And our, our comp, it was our competition's bag. I mean, Kate, um, Luger, thank you, is, I mean, a, a world cup cross country athlete, right? So that's hypothetically, that's her day. She's a Kiwi also, right? She and her partner, both Kiwis, but so we were, you know, I mean, less than 30 seconds or something off of them on day one, which is a, a, a course they've had a chance to pre-ride plenty. And so we were really thrilled with that. And day two, I mean, you know, we, we had talked about setting some pace and, and talked about how Sonia was going to really try and hammer that day. And I was going to support that as much as I could and as, as well as I could. And we did, man, we throttled. Like I think about some of my favorite days on the bike and as much as that one had a had a turn for the worst. It definitely was one of my favorite days on the bike because we had an incredible symbiosis. You know, we were, I would sit on the front in the wind and then let, let Sonia lead a little bit of climbs and, you know, get gear in aid stations and then throttle back up to her. And we had a moment where we, just the two of us rejoined like the front group. We actually bridged up just the two of us from like kind of no man's land at an aid station back to the front group. And that was awesome. And then we started to climb and we dropped everybody. Um, <laughs> that was awesome all the guys yeah, like, where'd they go <laughs> yeah, it was so cool 
you know, and, and, and I looked at our numbers after that later and it was just like, we throttled like red zone throttled that day. But, uh, I descended down into an aid station a little bit ahead of Sonia to swap out some bottles and, and, and grab some food and, and Sonia blasted through that aid station. I think you grabbed something off the table and blasted through and I was catching back up. And a lot of that New Zealand, you know, pioneer is, is kind of farm track. It's, it's, double track or two track and it's, it's chunky and it's stuff that, you know, an ATV might see every couple of months, but generally speaking, it's not really single track. It's not really roadbed. It's kind of farm track. And, um, so you have a lot of embedded rock. And as I'm, as I'm getting back up to Sonia, Sonia's wheel, I, uh, a rock, a, a big old cannonball sharp edge rock just shot up in towards the mountain you know as we're sort of riding down this thing um, on a level grade down the mountain this this rock shot up against the wall and then sort of defied physics right I kind of it kind of was out of my thought process but then it must have hit something against the wall against the mountain and it kicked underneath my back wheel and just locked it up and launched me doing probably, I mean, near 30 miles an hour. It just launched me, you know, ass over elbows, as they say, like just into the air and onto the ground. And it absolutely crunched, uh, flattened my back tire and crunched my back rim, just like, just trashed it. Uh, It didn't really taco it, like the wheel still had tension, but it just crunched the bead of the rim. It was like all the pressure went right there. And so uh, we, I hollered and, and Sonia pedaled back up the hill and, and we were looking at this thing and kind of checking our watches. Like we had, we had what we knew was a decent gap on, on Kate and Willie. And so it was like, you know, let's get this thing fixed. And as I'm like putting air into the tire, I see that, uh, you know, this rim is, is just chunked in. And so I pull out my multi-tool and I, I use the little can opener piece to kind of pry the rim bead back to, to in line so that the tire can hold on there. And about the time I got the rim resolved, Willie and Kate screamed by and kind of, you know, kind of looked up at us like, oh, well, I guess they'll they'll sort it out. And we didn't see him again that day because the rules of the pioneer state, if you take really any, any assistance, you know, you, then you're, you're disqualified, right? You can still finish the, the race, but you're not no longer racing it. And so we had to kind of ginger back into the finish line because if I, if I destroyed that tire, you know, if I ripped it right off the bead and, and, and destroyed the tire or, or further further injured the rim or myself, <laughs> then uh, we were, you know, going to be DQ'd. So we kind of had to ginger it back in. And, man, I mean, that five minutes where – or it's like five or eight minutes. I think it was gap, eight minutes. Yeah, it was, it was significant but still tight. <laughs> was probably like one of the most human interactions that I think I've, I've had in a while because it was – we got, we got through the disappointment stage really quick. You know, it was like, man, this sucks. Okay, let's move on. And that was a testament to Sonia big time because it was like, this is, this is just uh, stuff happens. You know, this is not a, anything you can do anything about. And so we chatted about it, fixed it. We got going as quick as we could. And we were determined to, to do what we could the rest of the week to build back that gap. And, uh, and that day was that, that day was really awesome. I mean, the scenery was great. The racing was awesome, but being able to be in a position with a race partner where, where we dealt with one of the hardest situations you can, you know, which is a pretty catastrophic mechanical. Yeah. Like winning Um, from winning the race to just barely trying to finish and not get disqualified. (laughs) And you could feel it, man, at the finish line, you could feel it. You know, there had been motos and reports and time checks coming in the finish line all day that had us up. And then Willie and Kate came in and it was like, 
when we came in, it was like tense, like people could feel like, you know, something happened. But it was funny, too, because it wasn't like we each went to our corners and moped, you know, it was like we we like stood there in the finish line and hugged it out. And we're like, all right, let's 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 get the mechanics sorted out. Let's get a wheel back in there and let's rock and roll. And, and we did. Um, we went on to have uh, I mean, I, I think an awesome do a race experience. We never could eat back all that time gap to Willie and Kate. We got close a couple of days, but they ended up beating us. Those, those wily Kiwis. Uh, yeah, they're strong. Uh, well, unbelievably strong, unbelievably strong. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about those two. It's fun to rag on them, but they are, they're both incredible athletes and incredible people. And, and, you know, when they're high-fiving us too, in, in sympathy, it's, it's, it's why I love the mountain bike community, but you know, that event, that, that wasn't the only mechanical of the week either. (laughs) Emmy had her own mechanical. Uh, Yeah. So we were staying in an RV that week, like the four of us or yeah, the four of us were sharing an RV. So we're hoping that, okay, RV is big enough. Like we'll be able to get along and everything will be all good. And Emmy was the driver. And And just as like a heads up for the RV, like, at a bike race, when you're going from, from location to location, mm-hmm. you, need, you have a lot of gear, like tons of gear. You got your nutrition, you got all your extra parts, you got all this stuff. So we actually rented an RV big enough for six people because we really wanted to have enough room to actually be able to lie down in it when we had to. So we had this. It was Gert the Motor Yurt. Gert the Motor Yurt. Or, or was that the second one? Uh, Gert was the first, I think. Okay, Gert. Yeah, yeah she was, was a saucy. <laughs> she was <minx>. a saucy. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so we had this um, RV, and in New Zealand, you drive on the wrong side of the road. So, yeah, Emmy, like, I was driving a truck before we got the RV, and that was scary enough. So I, I highly commend Emmy's driving skills. Like, were you nervous driving that thing? Um, a little bit initially in the city, just because you didn't have more traffic and stoplights, and I was really worried that I was going to get to a stoplight and turn going the wrong direction against traffic but it's it's a whole lot easier when this when the drive side's on this on the different side too because you just have to remember that the driver's closest to the yellow line so once we got out of Christchurch though it was it was a little bit better it was definitely a little bit better until I had my own mechanicals (laughs) yeah like it was during the queen stage so we're all out there and and Emmy like barely just got there when Gordon and I finished and we're like what happened like what's up yeah, but that was the, the first mechanical. We didn't even make it out of the, the Oh, city I forgot limits. about like the we, first mechanical. We made oh. it out to the edge of the city limits, and then we had to call because the it wasn't working properly. <laughs> the, the check engine light came on before we even left stage one. Yeah. 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 We sat on the side of the road for a couple hours. Yeah, a couple hours that. waiting for the, the rental people to show up and tell us that everything was fine, that the light had just come on. That's what you want to do for your stage race recovery and, and stage two prep is, you know, lay out in the hot tarmac in the middle of a city waiting for two hours. Cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they came and they couldn't fix it. And they're like, oh, well, like, just keep driving. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we get to stage two. We start racing and then Emmy's got to drive to the next location. And that's, I think that's when things started to come off the rails, wasn't it? I think, I think it might've been a couple of days later, but. Stage four, I think it was, I was, yeah, I was driving to, from four to five, I think. And, um, probably the most mountainous driving that I had done all week. Cause you go over certain passes and there's, 
you know, long, long mountains that you go up and then you have to descend down. And at one point I was coming down a hill and, and good old Gert and she just <laughs> dies. Everything dies and I'm going probably 60 miles an hour and I have no power or anything. Like no steering, no brakes and yeah, nothing just completely dies. And the roads there are like, they're not like here. They're really narrow and they're really twisty and they're steep. So if you're driving a humongous RV and all of a sudden the, the power goes out, like that, the, I, I would have melted down. Like I was so impressed. Yeah. I, um, thankfully was able to get it over to the side of the road. There was some lookout overlook that was not too far from where I was. And so I kind of just coasted into it and was able to to get it over. And after I stopped shaking, I used Sonia's phone, which fortunately had a SIM card in it and called the rental company. And then they told me to just keep driving it as long as it would start. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and it did it multiple times after that. So we ended in, we ended up trading Gert in for um, Hans. Hans. Hans well, first we were on the phone. So the rental company, I think was Brits, right? Shout out to yeah. Brits. Don't ever use Brits ever, guys. Like, it is the worst company ever, 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 ever. So it wasn't that they just traded it out. It's They made it. They made Emmy call multiple, multiple times. We weren't even sure if we were going to have a place to sleep that night because the thing, like, if they took it away, like, where are we even going to get a new one? And how are we going to get our stuff to the next stage? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Emmy, tell us about Hans. <laughs> so as Matt said, Gert was quite girthsome. We had six people's worth of room in there and so when we traded the big one out for Hans the van it was basically a conversion van yeah. for children yeah it was like, it's a, meant it was like two people glorified conversion yeah van. it was a glorified conversion van and thankfully nobody was claustrophobic and thankfully we were with you guys because I don't think we would have been able to handle it with anybody else it was so tiny we had to sleep in the van with all of our gear outside of it and you guys are tucked away. We were, we couldn't even move. We had to, we had to back into the bed. We couldn't turn over in the bed. We had to go feet first into it because you couldn't turn around or turn over. Yeah, it was above the cab. I mean, it was truly, it was a, it was a, like a, a mini van size van with a, with a, a bump top, you know, a rigid fiberglass top. So the, the main bed, that, that you guys were uh, were using folded down and took up like the entire <laughs> downstairs in air quote you know the main floor of the van and then we had like the bump top up there the West you West know West. just like just I mean, the whole thing was just like a hot hot mess it was so ridiculous <laughs> and looking back at the pictures it's just it's completely comical i don't know who they thought would sleep in that top bunk but it's not real people <laughs> Maybe like cardboard cutouts of people, but not actual people. It was so funny though. And I remember, like, I remember vividly, it was at Lake Wanaka there in New Zealand. And we were, you know, unpacking all of our stuff from Gert because they were going to come pick her up. And we throw all our stuff in the grass in this gorgeous setting. It's like sunset and we're, we're like throwing stuff out of them. After <laughs> riding our bike for like seven hours. Yeah, that was a big yeah right? Totally flogged, like totally pitted. And in drives this replacement thing. And we were just looking at this, like, like you've got to yeah. be. But sure enough, I mean, our group, the four of us, it was just like, well, we're doing this thing, you know? Like there is no try, like we're doing this thing, you know? And, and, <laughs> and I, I mean, I think back on that, not truly, like I, 
I'm amazed and it's a testament to you guys and to Emmy, because I know it's not me, that we had just zero disputes that whole week, you know, like it tells like 10 days we were like tied to each other at the, at the hip and we had no disputes. Like, you know, everybody was considerate and, and kind and understanding and appreciative and Man, I just love you guys. <laughs> it was so awesome. Yeah, most people would not have been able to survive. There's not many people I could survive in a van with, even if it was just one other person. And there was four of us in there. So yeah, that that was that's one of those type two fun things where but we actually made it fun during. Like we were making jokes about it and Yeah. Yeah. We did. It was totally hilarious. Like during during the moment. And I think back on that and it was it was truly just because we all were committed to that experience and to, to valuing each other's experience. You know, it was like this is not about me, you know, this is about Emmy having an amazing experience and Matt and Sonia and even Becky having an amazing experience. Like this is this is what we came for. We didn't come here to get all all, you know, tweaker racer, like, <laughs> yeah, we didn't come here to get our carols in an uproar. We came to have an amazing time. So let's do it, you know? And, and we did. And that was, that was so fun, you know, and the racing, I mean, the pioneer as an event was incredible. It was a little bit farm track heavy, but generally speaking, it was stunning. I mean, visually stunning. Talk about a setting to suffer in. It was incredible. And the organization was good for the most part. And, you know, we only had one foul weather day and, and that was just, you know, cold and wet and miserable for a while. And um, we had enough gauze. We had- <laughs> <laughs> there was so guys, uh, I'll let you in on our inside joke here. So we were required to carry like some races required that you carry certain items um, while you race and not all of them do, but this one was a bit of an extensive list. And when you were registering, they wanted to check and make sure that you had everything on that list. Well, Gordon and I had everything on the list, but gauze was on the list. And apparently the gauze that we brought was not substantial. It wasn't enough gauze. So they were <laughs> going to not let us register because we did until we got enough gauze. Ample gauze. Real <laughs> nitty gritty details there. Yeah. Yeah. And then they would like check you at the start to make sure that you had everything, including your gauze. And you had to carry like leg warmers and jackets and of course gordon had to carry it all because i'm the weaker rider so gordon basically was sherpaing his clothes and mine over the mountains of new zealand almost every day the first time i got home and i i got i sort of recovered and i went for a ride without a backpack on i was like holy smokes like there's the turbo (laughs) but yeah i mean that that race i mean all stage races have some idiosyncrasies i mean even in the preparation for brazil ride you know, you and I have talked about a couple of things that it's like, yeah, we're dealing with this this week. You know, you had a big hiccup this week. Um, I'm not sure to talk about some, but it's like if, if you're not dealing with something, you're dealing with something else. Like there's to presume, especially with international travel, that things are going to go smoothly is is foolish. You know, you, you have to be able to meet the challenge of, of you know, an, an unknown challenge at any given time and, and manage it. And that's part of the exciting thing that, you know, the challenges overcome and the, 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 the challenges you never knew you'd face. Like those are some of the best, the best memories from it. But uh, yeah, the New Zealand definitely threw some, some curveballs at us <laughs> big time. Yeah. Like you said something during the race that stuck has stuck with me and I was blown and, and slow and tired one of the days or maybe more than one of the days, but this happens. Like it's normal. Like th- those of you guys who haven't done a stage race or maybe you have, it's normal to not feel good the whole time. It's normal when you do a hundred mile race to not feel good the whole time. So in stage races, feeling bad for at least one day 
someone's going to have a bad day, period. So I was having a pretty bad, like not a bad day. I was just slow and tired that day, but still happy. And I just felt bad because you don't want to hold your partner back. And Gordon said to me, you know what? Some days are diamonds and some days are stones. And that's really stuck with me um, when he said that, because I actually have had to apply that. That's been like, there's been some challenges this year that I have don't typically have. Um, <laughs> so, yes, yes. Yeah, that's an old John Denver song that I grew up. I grew up here and my my dad, especially sing, you know, roaming through the house with some days are diamonds, some days are stones. And as a kid, it was always kind of like, meh, whatever, dad. <laughs> You know, but as an adult and as someone who who routinely puts him, himself in, in tight spots, like that's the case. And the sooner you acknowledge, you know, that some days are going to shine and they're going to be amazing. And they're going to be unique and incredible in their own ways. And some days are just going to try and sink you the better, you know, acknowledge it, move on. I mean, that's the way that's the way it is, you know, and, and, and so. Yeah, and I, you, you, a lot of folks have uh, gotten to hear me sing that because it, I have to remind myself of that. You know, it's the case. Some days are diamonds and some days are stones. I think there was some other sage advice from a friend of ours, Jason Sager, about stage racing. What was his advice? Uh, yeah. Oh, if you don't want to quit bike racing forever, then it's not a stage race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, some. I wouldn't say every stage race, but... Yeah, there has been the occasion. <laughs> I can think of New Zealand in particular for me. New Zealand was definitely there was many days like mid mid race. You're like, like why? Why did I sign up for this? Like I am dying right now. But then you cross the finish line. You're like, hey, that was awesome. Like I don't know what it is mentally that <laughs> allows you to hit that switch. But yeah, yeah. Well, what I tell myself in those situations when it's really sucking in a race is I just say, you know what? At some point, I'm going to cross the finish line. And I'm going to sit down with my friends. I'm going to be eating food and maybe having a beer or whatever. And it's going to be like none of this ever happened. So I just got to get to point. I got to get to the finish line and everything will be all better. And it's weird because when you finish, like you do this like hundred. I'm thinking about True Grit this year because I had like heat stroke and flat tires and all these bad things happened. And I just kept thinking, I just got to get to this stupid finish line. And once I get there it's going to be fine because it literally the memory dissolves so quickly of what you just went through after you've crossed the finish line. That's a ringing endorsement for stage racing. <laughs> no, but like when you, I feel so encouraged right now. No, but like when, when you challenging yourself, like you're going to feel you're, you're going to feel like, Oh my gosh, this is hard. And that's important because in daily life that happens too. Like for an example is on Sunday, Matt and I got a bunch of our stuff stolen in San Francisco and it was hard and crappy. And like my backpack was stolen and everything in that backpack was what I would have put into a backpack if my house was on fire and I had to take stuff out of the house to rescue it. So all that got stolen and being able to take the mindset from bike racing and just like apply that. I didn't feel good this week. I felt crappy and stressed out and tired and just saying, I'm just going to sit with this and it's going to pass. And you know what? It did. Like, I feel better today. So uh, moving on, we're going to go to Brazil. And what's our strategy, team? Like, I, we haven't even talked <laughs> talked too secret, much about this so yet. This is... <laughs> well, this will come out during the race. So the competition probably won't be listening during the race. Rock and roll all night and party every day. And, <laughs> and singing, like... Gordon and I, it's so funny, like we're very similar personalities in some ways. Like I talk constantly on the bike and we interviewed Amy Beth McDougal, who is my teammate in Columbia. And she said that I actually went faster when I was talking, um, which I didn't realize. And then Yuki, who is also a teammate, agreed as well. 
but yeah, like Gordon and I were both singing songs in New Zealand, but they weren't the same one. So maybe we need to coordinate on our singing so we can demoralize the competition. Share yes. a playlist. Yeah, I like that. I like that. In unison. In harmony. <laughs> like it's a Beach Boys style, like. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first, the first time I ever met Gordon, we were at the True Grid a few years back and we had just met in the parking lot. The, the group of us were all getting ready and a whole bunch of people and. And so I think the single speeder, my group left before, I think age groupers left before the single speeders and, and some other people, or maybe the open left before single speeders who might've gone with the, the, the single the speeders masters. went with the women and the masters. Yeah. So I, second. <laughs> yeah, so I'd had it, you know, I don't know how much of a head start, five or 10 minute head start in Gordon. So I'm up the trail and I literally just met Gordon in the parking lot. And I heard Gordon yelling at me from like a distance away. And I'm like, who is it? <laughs> Who the hell is that? Like, hey, it's Matt. Matt, how's it going? Like, just screaming at me. And then he literally went by me at like mock whatever. And I was like, holy crap, that guy was on a single speed. But yeah, it was like my first, my first Gordon experience was just yelling and screaming the whole way down. Of course. Yeah. And my first Gordon experience, I met him, um, I met you at the True Grit and I, we, I followed you on Instagram and I was like, there's that Quadsworth guy. Quadsworth. So yeah, we were talking in the parking lot and then instantly yelling at each other. Yeah. Instantly screaming. And then the race started and like, I knew you were fast, but I didn't really know much else. And nobody was going for it because normally we all start, like we'll start with the pro men and the pro men set the pace at the start and blows apart the field. So I usually count on that for creating separation with the competition, but there was nobody creating separation. So I was like, well, I guess I need to be the one to create some separation. So I just started hammering and then phew, 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 there's all these single speed guys with me. I was like, what is this? Yeah, and crazy. my heart rate was like 180 at the start of a 100 mile race. And there's all these single speed guys. And then they just dropped me and they're just gone. And they're just, I didn't even see them anymore. And that was Quadsworth and, and the whole entourage. That <laughs> <laughs> was awesome. That was a good year. Yeah, for sure. That was, that was a lot of fun. But I'm curious to see if, if you guys will actually be louder than the Brazilians. Because my understanding yes. is they're pretty, pretty loud. There's a good chance that they would be, I think. Um, <laughs> I've never had an issue supporting Gordon because whenever I'm at aid stations waiting for him to come through, I typically know at least three to four minutes in advance. When <laughs> so there's a good chance that he might be louder. He gets real flamboyant when he's in, um, you know, South American countries. Yes, it's our people. I, I love South America because people don't look at me like I'm crazy because everybody's screaming and laughing and making lots of noise. That's <laughs> us. Our people. Yeah. yeah, I actually got in trouble. I've done so. This will be my. I've raced Brazil Ride twice, but I've been to Brazil Ride three times because one time I went to Brazil Ride and. The race had booked my travel, so I showed up the day before the race, and all of my stuff got lost. So I had no bike, no luggage. My flight had been missed as well. So basically, I didn't get my stuff for like four or five days, so I didn't actually race. But I had a really bad concussion, so someone was watching out for me, and I had no business racing. But um, long story long, I the last Brazil ride I did was 2014 with Nina Baum in the women's category, and we won the race, and it was awesome. But there was this team, and one of the days, it was knock on wood, the only time I've broken a chain and it was riding downhill and my chain like broke and fell off and I like went to pedal and there was nothing there. I was like, what the heck just happened? So I had to stop and hike back up the trail to try and find my chain. And this girl and her teammate, they were racing mixed category came by and I like put my chain back on and fixed it. And then we were off again and we caught back up to this girl and, and her teammate 
And so I was like talking to her and I'm just me. Like I, I'm loud and cheerful and, and friendly. So I'm like talking away. And she just started yelling at me in her German accent. You are always talking. You are always singing. You should be focusing your effort on racing. And I was just in so much trouble with this girl. So I was like, uh, the vibe is bad here. I'm out of here. So then we dropped them and, and kept going. Pasta <laughs> baby. Yeah, so it'll be fun to see what kind of new stories we come up with. Hopefully there's less drama than at Brazil Ride. New Zealand. Or, sorry, the New Zealand. <laughs> Can't keep all these races straight. Um, but you guys, this this podcast is coming out during the race. We'll be a couple days in or... Maybe I'll put it out next week, but regardless, follow our journey. It'll be on the Brazil Ride Facebook page. It'll be on our Facebook pages and Instagram, and I'll put that in the show notes. But um, if for some reason I don't get to the show notes because I'm racing, it's Quadsworth at Quadsworth and at is it Emmy Harefield on Instagram as well? Yes, ma'am. And Jordan is at the Pisga and um, at Looney Sonia. So follow our adventure. We'll be posting about it, and hopefully we'll have lots of awesome stories to tell. But Thanks so much, you guys, for coming on the show and giving us awesome relationship advice and life advice and, and our stories and sharing uh, sharing about Gert and Hans, you know? Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, folks. We'll see you in Brazil. All right. That was super fun. It's going to be interesting to see how the race turns out here at Brazil Ride. We're on the beach, it's beautiful, but the days are gonna be long. There's even some rain coming, so stay tuned. We're gonna be doing a podcast after the race, talk about some of the adventure stories from Brazil Ride, and hopefully there are no broken down RVs or broken bikes or broken spirits. Thank you so much to you guys for listening to this podcast and for the messages that you send me. It really does help me stay motivated to get this out on a weekly basis because it's really not always the easiest thing when I'm traveling. Like right now, I literally am sitting in a tiny hotel room in a small town in Brazil, and I'm gonna be sending this off to the audio producer so that I can get this out next week while I'm racing. So it really helps to hear from you guys, and thank you so much for leaving reviews. Thank you so much for contributing financially to my show on Patreon. That helps immensely. You have no idea how much that helps. So thank you. It means the world to me. And guys, thanks so much for sharing this with your friends. And it's just great to be able to connect and to build community and to bring really cool stories to you. I'm always open to your feedback. And I really appreciate those people who have actually sent me emails giving me feedback on the show because ultimately I'm doing this for you guys. So if you can tell me what you want, what kind of guests you want to hear, what you're looking for, I can make this audio experience even better for you. Thanks again and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.